Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Buenos dias, amigos. Welcome to this week's edition of the Spanish Football Podcast. I'm Phil Kittramalidis. Sid Lowe has joined me. We're recording on a Monday morning, something we never, ever, ever, ever do. But because there was no La Liga last night, there was no football last night, we've got a slightly quieter Monday morning. Sid, for the first time ever, seemingly, you didn't watch any football on a Sunday night in Spain. I, I watched none on a Sunday night at all. I did admittedly watch Oviedo on Sunday afternoon. Um, yes. I, I didn't even watch the whole of that. I watched the whole of the second half of that. It was dreadful. Uh, and I went to the theatre last night, which I think might be the first time I've been to the theatre in Madrid. Um, wow. That said, I should probably admit this now, even that was football related. No. I went to, I went to see a stand-up comedian who yeah. used to be a footballer. It was absolutely brilliant. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. Really, really, really good, yeah. Who, who, who's that? His name is uh, Thuais Guruchaga, and he was in the Real Sociedad team that were that were runners up in two thousand and three. Wow! And he tells the story of his career. He suffered depression. He um, had OCD, um, and and essentially, you know, I suppose this is in a way is the old cliche, isn't it? This idea of kind of comedy as therapy. Yeah. And his show is about that. It's 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 completely brilliant. Well, it sounds great. It sounds like something I'd like to go and see. Uh, if you're in, uh, if you're in uh, Madrid in the next few days, go and see it. Apparently, it sounds great. Um, we've got to talk about the Spanish national team. Uh, you were at the theatre on Sunday night, but on Saturday night you were in Zaragoza to see Spain lose to Switzerland two one yeah. in their uh, penultimate game. Uh, before, well, I was going to say penultimate game before the World Cup. It's their uh, pre-penultimate game because they've got a friendly uh, against uh, Jordan just before the World Cup starts. But it was the uh, penultimate game in the Nations League. It wasn't very good, Sid. It was, it was really quite poor. I heard the first half described as the worst 45 minutes under Luis Enrique. Maybe... That was by some people who have a bit of a bone to pick with Luis Enrique, so are pretty um, forthright in their criticism of him. But it, it really wasn't very good at all. Um, I'm not sure where we start in our analysis of of this game. Perhaps we can start with the with the starting eleven and the front mm. three, which has been a bit questioned. It's certainly served up quite a lot of debate whether this is a front three that will strike fear into the hearts of opponents. It's probably not going to be the front three that starts the first game at the World Cup. But Ferran Torres, Pablo Sarabia and Marco Asensio were the front three against Switzerland. It didn't really work. No, it didn't. I mean, let me just throw in very briefly, as you say, the the suggestion that this was the worst first half under Luis Enrique and, and people having a go at Luis Enrique. And, and you know, the, the, there are people who are kind of really willing to say that. Yes probably worth noting that Luis Enrique himself kind of said that yeah he said post game that he didn't remember a single first half where the team were as imprecise as they had been in this and how many easy passes went astray how difficult they found it to 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 kind of get moving and get that circulation of the ball going now for the front three this is quite a difficult one to to fully analyze and the and the reason for this on, on one level it's very simple on one level as you rightly say if your front three is Marco Asenso Ferran Torres and Pablo Sarabia, that isn't a front three where you think, wow, 
even you know there i mean it's not one. even it's not it's even not whoa it's not even anything it no, doesn't exactly. really inspire any kind of exclamation exactly, that's yeah. it there isn't even one person in that where you say wow that's a forward i'd be really frightened of there's not one of the no. three mm-hmm. now the reason which obviously that's certainly not now part. certainly not at the moment ah well here we go then exactly <laughs> so this is the thing that's the easy part of the analysis and fundamentally it's true and fundamentally you know for all the other things that we talk about sometimes you can look at national team is is there a really good player in there or is there are there two or three really good players in there and and you know partly that was why France won the last world cup is you looked at their starting 11 you thought wow it's strong all the way through you know all of those are really good players now for what it's worth I actually think that France team was probably not quite as good as it could have been but that's a whole other debate for a totally different podcast um, now the reason why I say it's, it's slightly harder to analyze than it might appear on the face of it is that we thought this before and Spain have done really quite well and that Luis Enrique has tended to be right in these choices that we weren't convinced by for example not that convinced by Dani Olmo and yet he would go and play really well. Not that convinced by Pablo Schrabbit, and we've seen him play well before. We weren't always that sure about Ferran Torres, but, and you've said it right now, there have been moments when we thought Ferran Torres is, is going to be a really, really good player. And you know, we've got to be honest about this. When Barcelona signed him, we talked about him as potentially being that kind of one player that was about a long-term future at Barcelona. You know, the outstanding player of his generation, although we even then we were saying, we're not sure if he's quite that good because there's a reason why City let him go. But this is a guy that scored a hat-trick against, against Germany, for example. And, so, and, and his goal-scoring figures with the national team are really, really good. But I do think that you, and we've talked about this before as well, that you look at the Spain forward line and it feels like a lot of players who are quite similar to each other. In very broad brushstrokes, I don't want to reduce them to the same thing, but in very broad brushstrokes, that idea of a, a forward playing wide who's not really a winger and not really a forward as well and sort of does a bit of both. And, and, and at times it has worked, but not all the time. And, and then the, 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 the experiment of Marco Asensio at false nine, I think largely didn't work, although he did produce a really brilliant run for the, for the goal. He did. Um, and we know he's got it in his locker, but um, it's not something that uh, uh, we uh, have consistently seen from him uh, over the last no. uh, over the last couple of years. Uh, I mean, so so what do we learn from this Spain game, Sid? Because there are a lot of a lot of hot takes coming out of it, and and perhaps we shouldn't um, take too much from this one. Maybe the one that we really need to focus on is the is the one against Portugal on Tuesday. Yeah. And that's what Luis Enrique said. Now, for what it's worth, I don't entirely buy his discourse. He mm. said, well, this game was sort of, it didn't really matter as much because we were always going to have to go to Portugal and get a result. He said, yeah, but you were going to have to go there and draw before. Now you've got to go there and win. So it's not yeah. quite the same thing. And anyway, yeah. the point of these games, however much the Nations League is in play, however much the chance of reaching the final four of the Nations League is in play, the point of these games is a sense of where you are in terms of progressing towards the World Cup. Yeah. You know, it, it's sort of not about whether you reach the Nation League's final four. Right now, no one could give a shit about that, quite mm. honestly. By next summer, maybe they will. Right, mm. But right now, it, it's not the point. So what did we learn? Well, I mean, my takes on this are definitely not hot. They're lukewarm. And one of the reasons why, one of the reasons why my takes on this are not hot is that one of the things that keeps on happening with Spain is when we think we know something, it turns out we don't next time round. So when we think they're really good, then the next time around they don't play quite so well. When we think it's really not very good, the next time around they do. And so there's this, still this slightly weird thing with Spain where there's an absolute clarity, total clarity, about how Luis Enrique wants them to play, about the kind of players he wants, about how he moulds them into the team. And yet then uh, sort of a lack of clarity about how this actually plays out. 
because it, 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 their, their performances are quite erratic. I think there are some things that we can see, though, which are trends. And one of them, of course, is that their difficulty comes, and I think this is natural, but but it's a, a, also a fact, against teams that defend very deep against them. Because for all their possession of the ball, because for all their circulation, for all the fact that Luis Enrique wants them to be a, a slightly more aggressive and occasionally more direct version of, uh, to use the cliche, the tiki-taka approach, mm. they do still, by dominating possession, effectively kind of encourage the other team to say, right, well, you have the ball then and we'll sit here. And for any team, however good you are, that's really hard to break down. Mm. And Spain have tended to struggle against those sports teams. You look at their results in in World Cup qualifying and um, it was a very late win against Greece. A draw in Greece, am I right in saying that? I think so. Um, they got a one nil win away at. Oh, my mind's gone blank. Um, okay, by t- by some time, I'll look it up. Okay, good idea. Anyway, against lots of really, you know, lots of not very impressive results against not very impressive teams. Uh, a one nil win in Greece, a two two draw against Czech Republic. Um, they 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 played away in the in 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 the old Eastern Bloc. That's a terribly the old generalized Eastern phrase. Bloc. Well, that's yeah, the, it was Czech one Republic, of the former, isn't it? No, well, yes, I suppose it is. Yeah, I tend not to. It's funny that I tend not to. But you're right. Yes, uh, <laughs> here we are. Here we are doing geopolitics with TSFP. Um, <laughs> but so you get this sort of thing where they struggle to break teams down, and yet they also come off the back of a Nations League campaign in which they beat Germany, in which they beat Italy, the first team to beat Italy in 37 games, and in which they lost to France two one in the final, where frankly they were the better team. Mm-hmm. And so you have this thing that you think so. How does this play out at the World Cup? Now, at the World Cup, they've got they've got Germany um, and Japan, and and you sort of think these are you can see a scenario quite honestly in which Spain don't get through the group because they've drawn all three games. Mm-hmm. That said, given the mathematics of the way the World Cup's going to work this time, you can see a scenario in which those same three draws do see them through the group. Mm-hmm. And so this whole thing, this contradiction. Look at the look at the Euros. This great example of the contradiction of the Euros. Right, mm-hmm. they got to the semi-finals and we thought they were better than Italy who won it. Mm-hmm. In the semi-finals, they were better than Italy. And yet then you say, they only won one game in 90 minutes mm-hmm. of the five they played. Um, anyway, so what do we learn? I think we learned that Ansu Fati probably should go even if he's not fit. Right, because okay. Because at, at least he scores goals. That's a, that's a, that's a plausible uh, conclusion. What about centre-back, and, and, Sydney? What do we learn about centre-back? There's a lot, think, of, a lot of uh, criticism yeah. of young Eric well, Garcia feel, again. He's trending again, Sid. Still. Yeah, I think there is a degree of sort of willingness to attack him. There is. I mean. Because I think I think he didn't play well in this game, but I don't think Paul Torres did either. In fact, I think Paul was considerably worse than Eric. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there's one moment in the end. I think the flag went up for offside anyway, but I, I think it's Imbolo he's with. Yes, gives him a little shove. Yes. and he just lets him go. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I thought the two fullbacks were pretty poor, and I say that as someone who well, we we know about the Al- Alba conundrum because we've had this for 15 years, basically. Yes. How exactly do you judge Jordi Alba? I I say this as someone who who generally speaking has been. Um, quite supportive of Azpilicueta. I thought he looked out of place. I thought he looked very uncomfortable. Mm. Uh, the centre-backs in spe- specifically, I have a quite a significant degree of faith in the importance of the return of Emmerich Laporte. I think that will make mm. a big difference. Okay. Um, and I think I think he guides them. But I, I, I do... Yes, this partnership of Eric and Powell, I think, is, is occasionally a little, bit, a little bit soft. You think there's absolutely no chance Sergio Ramos comes back? Right, there's two different questions here. One is, should we, should we, should we have Ramos back? Uh, or should we talk about whether Ramos should come back? And the other is, will he? The answer to will he is, I, I, I am almost certain the answer to that is no. Mm-hmm. 
because it's more than just the footballing side of things. But should he? I don't actually know the answer because, to be honest, I've not seen enough of him with PSG to know what kind of level he's got back to. Because remember, the huge debate about him was during a period when he just wasn't playing. It was absurd, the debate. I mean, you're not going to take someone who literally has played, what was it, three games in a year or something. Yes. Um, It's different now. But again, as I say, I don't honestly know the answer to how good his level is with PSG at the moment. I mean, I think he's playing, isn't he? Sort of playing week in, week out. He's playing every week, exactly. But I don't know how good that level is. Like whether he's playing, you know, at his very best level. One thing is for sure, though... Mm -hmm. He does have some of the things that the Spanish national team lack. Well, so if we look yeah. at this in terms of profiles, <laughs> not, necessarily, not necessarily in terms of Ramos, but in terms of profiles, that kind of defender who, put bluntly, is a bit of a hard bastard. Is a you yeah. know can, can can play the aggressive side of the game. Is very strong in the air. Um, has a degree of, uh, I suppose, well, I thought of a word for jerarquía at last. Ascendancy. He has kind of ascendancy over his teammates, doesn't he? Leadership, whatever you want to call that. Um, ascendancy. And I, maybe, yeah, maybe he does have, maybe he does have some of those qualities. Again, though, I don't know. But for what it's worth, I just don't think it's going to happen. No, it's not, is it? It's not. It's not going to happen. Um, but that doesn't mean that people won't talk about it a lot. Oh, of course, of course, because I, I don't know if people outside of Spain are, are aware of, for certain parts of the media, just quite, quite how significant a figure yeah. Sergio Ramos is. Very significant, um, and you know, this is club coloured. By, by, uh, of course, but it's a bit more than that as well. I mean, Ramos is a is a sort of impossibly kind of comic book character. You know, there is there is a sort of almost parodic um, element to his sort of status, isn't mm. there in Spain? And 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 he really, I mean, obviously, by the way, most of this is well earned. Mm. You know, we are talking about quite possibly the best centre back this country's ever produced. In fact, I would say really quite likely mm. the best centre-back the country's ever produced with with perhaps Piquet and Fernando Hierro. Mm. Um, just going back to the team in general, there is a f- unshakable feeling, and as we were discussing about their results, that almost anything can happen in any given game. You don't know, you know, anyone could, could possibly cause them trouble and they could, on their day, also be anyone as well. So it's, it's, very, much, it's very much up in the air. I was listening to a sort of rather mm. furious debate on the radio this morning, coming back from the, uh, the school run, and they were insisting that Portugal, who Spain play on Tuesday, are a considerably better side than Spain. You look at the Portugal yeah. starting eleven, and they are miles ahead of Spain, which I didn't necessarily buy. Although maybe front six of Portugal is is is, is perhaps superior to certainly the front four. Um, certainly mm. inspires a there's bit some, more there's fear. Some very good players. Yeah. There's some very very good players in there, and, and if you look at it in terms of names. I, I, I think that is a plausible argument, mm-hmm. um, and, and and you know that I, you're right. You could name four or five players and say they're really genuinely very good indeed. I guess um, it's quite refreshing. I, I, sorry, just to sort of listen to not refreshing, but to get a different perspective. Because in my mind, I always seen the Spain national team. I think they've got loads of good players. This is a good, good team. They can beat anyone. And then the Spanish sort of fans tend to be extremely negative about the Spain national team and, and, and think, oh God, no, we're, we're, we're not that good at all. You know, these, these guys are miles yeah. better than us. So actually, it sort of helped me readdress the balance a little bit. And then I looked at this Portugal team and think, oh yeah, no, fair enough. You know, they're, they're they are pretty good compared to Spain. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm going into the press room. I sort of on on Saturday kind of said hello to a couple of radio journalists that I know here, and one of them just said to me, "We won't get past the quarters." 
I was like, ah, you'll be all right. When the actual tournament comes, it will be fine. Um, because there, I do sometimes feel like that. Mm. There's something about Spain that, and as I say, I, th- I think the nature of the way they play. But that's something that we feel, <laughs> not that actual Spaniards who people support the team. No, that's feel. true. But yeah. we feel it. But we do feel it watching Spain. Yeah. I mean, it's not. It's not that we're no, no, no. That we're, yeah, we're, yeah. we're we're two guys from London who aren't in Spain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the Portugal team. I mean, look again. I, I can't judge Portugal properly because, of course, I don't see a huge amount of them. But watch them against Spain in Seville, mm. and they they finished up with a draw. But this is one of the things about Spain. Is is Spain kind of they change your analysis because of how they play, but then the result and how they play don't always go hand in hand. Mm. So against Portugal in in Seville, I thought Spain was so much better in terms of control of the ball, in terms of having clearly having an idea, in terms of a sense of what it is they were trying to do, mm. and yet they still didn't beat them. And, and look, if we're going to look at the Spain team in general, you look at that midfield. Now I know we have our doubts about Busquets. But a Busquets, Gavin, Pedri midfield, if they're all playing well, is really, really strong. And one of the things that was striking about Fadigoffa, for example, was how poor Pedri was. Mm-hmm. Just wasn't mm-hmm. in the game at all. Um, but one of the other things that was striking for me is, is Gavi's a really... Look, we know about Gavi and being a feisty so-and-so. And, you know, he, he produced his first really wild tackle inside four minutes at the weekend. Um, but one of the things I was really noticed watching him, for Spain at least, was he's the first to press every single time. He's the first on the scene every time. And it's partly about the speed with which he applies it, but I think it's also about the speed with which he sees it. And I think that's one of the things that Luis Enrique wants. He sees that's the right man to go for. And then sort of he leads the press. And I think what we will probably see at the World Cup is a team that maybe doesn't have the number of name players that Portugal have, but might well be a team that still dominates some of those games. And so so they're hard, hard, really hard to judge. I think Spain... I don't know about you, but I sort of feel like Spain is in the sort of the second tier of teams. You know, they're four. All right, so who's in the first tier? I would say Brazil. I would say France, although France are falling apart, which tends to happen. But you know, just the quality of the players, Uh, Brazil and France, um, Argentina, considering the current run they're on, I can't ever not say Germany, even when they're not at the best, because. Because just because it's Germany, I just can't bring myself to. It always feels to me like, oh, well, Germany will always be in there, even when they're not always in there. Do you know what I mean? There's something funny about that. Um, and so maybe them, and then you would say perhaps, well, England perhaps should be, but are playing very badly. Um, Spain, Portugal. I don't know who else. Who else I would look at? I can't claim to know enough about the the, the, the South American teams and, and how good the rest of them, other than Brazil and Argentina, are going to be. Croatia will struggle. Struggle to qualify. Croatia could be quite strong. Um, Denmark. I wonder about Croatia. How could you think Modric is going to be? I mean, the answer to that, of course, is brilliant. But there has to be a point where he's no longer brilliant, right? How can you keep doing this? He's an absolute miracle. Maybe after the World Cup, I think. Yeah, yeah. maybe. I think we'll see a collapse, not necessarily Modric, but a collapse of a lot of big players post-World Cup. Mm-hmm. A lot of mm-hmm. them. Yeah, I, uh, I'm, uh, I'm tending to agree with you. Although, you know, it'll still make for compelling viewing. For oh, La Liga, yeah. so don't switch off after the World Cup. No, no, no. honestly, <laughs> right? I'm all in favour of that. Uh, I someone said to me the other day, um, oh, it's going to be a great World Cup because all the players are going to be in great physical shape when normally they're a bit exhausted. And I was like, yeah, but that doesn't necessarily make for a great World Cup. You know, like the best bits of World Cup games are normally the frantic periods of extra time where everyone's knackered. Football's better when people aren't in good physical condition because <laughs> the pitch opens up. It becomes a bit, you know, sort of a bit more open. You have got these yeah. people struggling to get back. Yeah, I, that's I, why. You know, I, I think we, sh- I think we should oblige all players to run a marathon before they play the game. 
Uh, that's why games involving us when we play are, are so entertaining. Because Exactly, absolutely, because we have no physical capacity whatsoever. Certainly don't. Um, okay, so that is uh, the uh, Spain situation at the moment. They're playing uh, Portugal uh, tomorrow. If they, if they win, they're through to the uh, final four of the, uh, of the UEFA Nations League. And um, they'll head into the World Cup with a bit more of a spring uh, in their step. Um, Sydney, are you heading to the World Cup with a spring in your step? I don't know about a spring in my step. I'm, I'm heading there. <laughs> you are, I don't, aren't you? I don't know how springing my step will be, yeah. but I am heading there. Yeah. yeah, you're heading to the World Cup. And obviously it's a question that people have asked us, you know, are you going to be yeah. covering the World Cup? How are you going to be covering the World Cup? What are you going to be doing during the, uh, the tournament? The idea is for us to keep the world, keep the pod going. During the World Cup, we'll be focusing on, on Spain, obviously, but generally having a, a discussion on, on, on what's happening there. And given that City is going to be there, we're going to try and use that as an opportunity to discuss what you are seeing, what you're mm. experiencing and what your general feeling is of this uh, as a tournament. We have our feelings at the moment of what this tournament is and, and, and whether or not it should have been staged how it's being staged but I think it's going to be useful for you to go there and to view it firsthand mm. and to be able to report not just on the pages of the Guardian obviously which you should all go out and buy a copy of and, and, and click on but also on this on this podcast I think it's going to be useful Sydney for us to um, discuss what you're seeing firsthand there yeah I mean you know we've talked before and I think we were asked this in one of our Q&A, Q&A podcasts about the kind of that whole feeling of how do you how do you handle a world cup like this and and I I, I made the point that I feel kind of maybe it, in all honesty maybe it is a kind of a coward's response and maybe it is a response that enables me to say well I'm letting someone else deal with it but I kind of felt comforted by the fact that I work for the kind of paper for whom for which rather this does matter um, you know the, the the nature of Qatar winning the World Cup, how they won it, um, everything that goes with it, the stadium worker deaths, um, lack of lack of basic freedoms, and so on, um, and and enabled me to. And I had a conversation with 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 my editor about you know what do we do, how do we express this, um, and 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 in part I've kind of that is handled not by me but by by them by them as a as a newspaper i must confess when i'm there i don't know how much of that side of things we will see because of course the nature of these kind of world cups is this is in the build up and then it's all gleam, gleaming and shiny and wonderful for the tournament itself i remember a very famous story about the 78 world cup where where the argentinian junta at the time mm. literally just put up panels everywhere so that you couldn't see the slums mm. you know there were there were there would be kind of these the panelled um, motorways and walkways to stadiums to stop people seeing kind of if like the, for want of a better phrase, the, the, the kind of the reality behind. Um, and, and I suspect there might be an, an element of that. Mm. Of course, this is going to be a very difficult, different World Cup as well from a logistical uh, perspective because literally every stadium is pretty much next to each other when usually you're travelling all around the country as well. Absolutely, yeah. I think I think there's essentially two. I, mean, I, I, I haven't properly had the chance to, to, to sort of work out some of these things. I think essentially the, there, are, there are two basic places that the World Cup is taking taking place in. Um, and, and yeah, it will, it will change that. I was there when I was in Qatar when the technical inspection team were there um, just before they got the World Cup and we're talking about when was it? It's got to be about 10 years a bit less than 10 years maybe 8-9 years ago mm. and, um, and and essentially they'd been there for kind of I don't know if it was 10 days or a week or something and they'd been doing a technical inspection and looking at all the elements that go towards the, the, the purely technical side of the bid you know um, hotel accommodations travel the way the stadiums work and so on and what the Qataris had tried to do was was um, 
project this idea of a compact World Cup, that actually the fact that we're a small place is great because it means you can get to lots of games. If you're a fan, you can go there and you can maybe get two games a day because everything's so close uh, every day for the whole tournament and so on. And they, they were trying to project this idea of a compact World Cup. And the, the head of the technical inspection committee at the end of it gave this speech to like a kind of closing thoughts, I suppose, before delivering his report to FIFA, mm. to all of the organising committee, all of the people in Qatar, some of the journalists who were there to watch this process play out and stuff. And he basically stood up and said, you can't have the World Cup. And he stood up and said, you can't have the World Cup. And he said, you talk about a compact World Cup, but this basically, there hasn't been a World Cup in a space this small since Uruguay in 1930. The difference being that Uruguay had, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I may well be 12 teams, or was it 16? Whereas you're going to have uh, 36, or is it 30? Because there's a funny number this year. Isn't yeah. it? Anyway, you're going to have three times as many, or not quite three times as many. Yeah. And he said, it just, it just can't be done. So this is, this is implausible. Mm. Um, and then, of course, as whatever it was, two or three weeks later, suddenly it was plausible again. Mm. I don't know what might have changed in the meantime. Something changed, and they do, they do have the World Cup. I'm, I'm, allow me to be a little bit self-indulgent um, for, for, for a second. I'm not sure how I'm going to feel when the World Cup starts, and I'm actually almost quite me interested too. to, to, to yeah. see what my personal reaction is, because at the moment, everything about this World Cup has brought some kind of uh, rejection from me inside. Like I'm not mm. really... Um, looking forward to it. It's not something that I've gotten hugely up for. A lot of people have asked me, are you working at the World Cup? I have not seeked out, sought out any work at this World Cup. It is not something that I have desired to really be a part of at all. And yet when it starts, <laughs> I'm interested to see whether or not those feelings continue, whether they're put to one side, whether they're strengthened over things that happen or things that we see or, or just the general feeling. So I guess this is obviously very personal. It's an individual um, process. I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to feel when this World yeah. Cup starts. But at the moment, I'm, 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 I'm not loving it. I think that's true. Uh, and, and, you know, it's not a World Cup that I'm enormously looking forward to, I must confess, mm. uh, the same as you. But, but you're right. Once it starts, at what point do you just, just get dragged into the football? Mm. And, 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 of course, that's part of the point. That is the point. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, I'm, I'm, yeah, like, yeah. I'm, am I capable of <laughs> just not yeah. getting dragged away and, and carried away with it? Yeah. 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 And, then, and then, of course, the, 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 the sort of the feelings of culpability that go with mm. that. Well, it's going to be an interesting um, psychological experience. Uh, whatever happens with the, uh, with the World <laughs> yeah. Cup, there will be some football yeah. played uh, as well. Uh, dear listeners, we're going to leave it uh, there. But if you'd like more content, we're over at patreon.com forward slash TSFP. We've got a Q&A podcast, which will be out tomorrow. We've got a bonus podcast, which we'll be looking forward to this weekend's action in La Liga and also reflecting on Portugal against Spain. Uh, we also do a series called TSFP Presents, which is a historical look at the uh, best of Spanish football. Our new season is called Top Fives, where we take a subject and pick the top five of that subject. The first episode was Hat-Tricks. We picked our top five La Liga Hat-Tricks. More episodes will follow. If you want to join us, patreon.com forward slash TSFP. It's around four euros a month, although given how the euro and the pound and the dollar is at the moment, <laughs> I'm really not sure. True, but yeah. it's, it's broadly speaking yeah. around four euros slash pounds slash dollars. Um, they're all very similar uh, at the moment. Hopefully, it's good value. Um, amigos, uh, we'll speak tomorrow uh, on the Q&A pod. And if not, we'll be back here every Monday, as always, talking about Spanish football. Adios. Cheerio.